You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, y'all ready to get after this? Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. Now remember, we're going to define withness. And remember how we defined withness? It's on the screen here. Withness is presence and proximity. Say it with me, presence and proximity. That's right. So it's the idea that we, we reach people within our reach. We can be with people that are within our reach. We can't be with people in some other place in the same way that we can be with people within our reach. And I want to invite you to remember that as we read this text. We're going to read the same story from two different accounts. The first one from Luke. We're picking up where we left off in Luke 5. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 5. If you want to look up here, it's up here. If you want to go to Version, go to Version. Um, and then click menu, then click events, and then click WCC, Luke chapter 5, 17 to 26. One day when Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and legal experts were sitting nearby. Now let me pause. Pharisees are political leaders. They're not just religious leaders. Politics is religion, religion is politics. Matter of fact, that's why the Pharisees were a part of what's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the Jewish supreme court. That's where settles of civil dispute are, that's where civil disputes are settled. Um, so keep in mind, when you see the word Pharisee, don't just think, oh, religious leaders. They're political leaders too. When you see law experts, think of attorneys. When you read the word scribes in your scriptures, think of attorneys. These are the people who scribe the law and know the law and help interpret the law so that the political leaders can enforce, for lack of a better term, the law, which is why you almost always see Pharisees with the scribes. They're almost always together, politicians with attorneys, almost all the time, right, in the scriptures. So, Pharisees and legal experts were sitting nearby. They had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Now, let me pause. We already know that, right? Because in the first story, we just saw Jesus do that, but Luke wants us to be sure we know. Verse 18, some men were bringing a man who was paralyzed, lying on a cot. They wanted to carry him in and place him before Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they took him on, up on the roof and lowered him, cotton all, through the roof tiles. Everybody say, through the roof. Through the roof. Through the roof. Into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Well, the legal experts and Pharisees began to mutter to themselves, Who is this who insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized what they were discussing and responded, Why do you fill your mind with these questions? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? But so that you know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins, Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, get up and take your cot and go home. Right away the man stood before them, picked up his cot and went home, praising God. All the people were beside themselves with wonder. Filled with awe, they glorified God, saying, We have seen unimaginable things today. That's Luke's account. I'm going to read a little portion of Mark's account, and we're going to hang out with Mark's language. After a few days, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and people heard that he was at home. Everybody say, He was at home. So many gathered there. so, So many gathered that there was no longer space, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Some people arrived, and four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. They couldn't carry him through the crowd, so they tore off part of the roof. Everybody say, tore off part of the roof. roof. 
I want you to catch that. They tore off part of the roof above where Jesus was. When they had made an opening, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, child, your sins are forgiven. All right. So now in the story before the one we read in Luke last week, and if you missed last week, I encourage you to catch it. We talked about the willingness of Jesus. We saw the Jesus who when was asked, hey, you can heal me if you're willing. Jesus says, I am willing. Now, in Theology Thursday, which is, this is why everybody should come to Theology Thursday. Our brother Steve pointed out that he did a word study, because that's how Steve rolls. And so he did a word study on the word willing, and he said, hey, I want to break it down for y'all because Fred didn't. He didn't say that, but he said, this word willing means favorably disposed. What that means is that Jesus is more than willing. Jesus is wanting. Jesus wasn't like, all right, I'll heal you because you look pitiful. He was like, yeah, I want, like he wants to, I'm willing. Jesus wasn't like, oh, another healing. Jesus wants to. Jesus is willing. Jesus is wanting. Jesus is favorably disposed to be with us, pursuing us, wanting to be with us wherever we are. When everyone else withdraws their hand, Jesus reaches out his. When everyone else ignores you, Jesus sees you. When everyone else is willing to dispose of you, Jesus is willing to come close to you. When everyone else tells you to leave, Jesus says, I'm willing to come and stay. And then last week we asked, and are you willing, am I willing to be with the Christ who is willing? Because Christ is not only willing, Christ is wanting. But what we learn from this story that we just read today is that Christ is also welcoming of your presence. He's not just willing and wanting, he's welcoming too. See, in the story today, we see that this man had friends who was willing to dig through the roof to lower the man inside the home while Jesus is speaking to some of the most powerful people in his nation. People who uphold and create the systems of power. Jesus is teaching a word and a hole gets dug through the roof, a man drops in, and Jesus doesn't get irritated. Jesus doesn't say, what are you doing? Jesus looks at him and the first thing Jesus says is what? Child, your sins are forgiven. Despite the importance of this moment, Jesus looks at this man and says, Child, your sins are forgiven. This is as if Jesus is saying, Ha, welcome home, son. Now, before Steve can do a word study, I looked up the word study for the word child. And you know what it means? Child. Actually, it means more than that. In Jesus' vocabulary, the word child means someone who is willingly dependent on another moment by moment. This is a man who lives with paralysis. He knows dependence. He knows what it means to be willing. He has to be willing every moment of his life to receive help. Willing every moment of his life to be dependent upon someone to do for him or to do with him what he can't do on his own or can't do alone. This man knows what it's like 
to be willingly dependent upon someone moment by moment. Not just every now and again, but moment by moment. And we already know, because Luke's already told us, that Jesus is willing, that Jesus is wanting. And what Luke wants us to see now, and what Mark wants us to see, is that Jesus is also welcoming of this man's presence. He welcomes him in his company. Now, before we move on, Mark tells us something that has just stuck with me. In Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and people heard that he was at home. So then I couldn't help but wonder, like, was this Jesus' house? Now, scholars tell us that he probably moved to Capernaum to live with relatives, and his mother probably moved with him because that's how it worked. So yeah, like this was his relative's home. And so then it, then it occurred to me, did this man's friends tear through Jesus' roof? Like they tore through Jesus' roof. Think about that. And Jesus wasn't like, yo, why are you tearing my roof apart? Like that would, I would not have been like, oh, child, you are forgiven. I'd be like, man, you're going you to fix the roof. I mean, I'll heal you in a minute. You're going to fix the roof? Like they tore through Jesus' roof. And Jesus says, child, your sins are forgiven. For tearing my roof up, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's like, child, welcome home. Here's, here's, here's it. Beloved, you can't inconvenience Jesus. You can't inconvenience Jesus even if you tear up his roof. You can't disrupt Jesus. There is no moment in your life where Jesus isn't willing, wanting, and welcoming of your presence. Not a moment. He is pursuing you, welcoming you, moment by moment. And Jesus will always choose compassion over convenience. Now, I've heard people say, some of you may have said this too. I've heard people say, Fred, you don't have to pray for me on that. Or I may have asked somebody, hey, can I pray for you now? I'm like, I mean, no, you don't have to pray for me on that. Other people have bigger problems. I've heard people say that. Other people have bigger problems. Jesus has enough to do. Really? No. Like, beloved, there's nothing too small to bring to Jesus. There's nothing too big to bring to Jesus. There's nothing you can't bring to Jesus, even if you're going to tear up his roof. Jesus is willing, wanting, and welcoming of all you have to bring. Don't you know that he's pursuing you? I mean, do you know that? That there's never a moment when he isn't pursuing you and that he can't be inconvenienced and disrupted, that he calls you his child? I mean, that's the language he calls. He calls you his child. So go ahead then and be a child to him. Be willingly dependent upon him moment by moment rather than just thinking that you can manage this on your own. Because you can't. But you also don't have to. Living in willing dependence upon him moment by moment. Being aware of the fact that wherever you are, there he is. That whatever's going on inside of you, you can share. That wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you feel, that he is there waiting to be with you in the midst of that. Jesus doesn't, in this story, Jesus does not show us a God who is petty. Sometimes we believe in a petty God. 
He does not show us a God who's wagging at his finger at us. He does not show us a God who wants to separate and divide us and be tiny-spirited. God isn't angry at us, looking at us uh, from afar with his arms crossed, tapping his feet, waiting for us to come to him. That is not the God that Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us a God who is expansive and spacious, filled with love and gracious. Jesus shows us a God who is willing, wanting, and welcoming of our presence. And that is who Jesus shows us himself to be. That's who Jesus shows us God to be. And that is not going to change just because I may feel something else. That is who God is. The question is, will I trust that that God is with me? Will I trust his presence to be like that? Jesus will always choose compassion over convenience. Always. But there's something else that I want to see in this story, something that will disrupt us a little bit. When this man is lowered through the roof, notice that Jesus' response to him is not to heal his body. And that's what he wanted. That's what his friends wanted. Jesus says to him first, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want to I I say this about this whole forgiveness of sins thing. When we hear that, a lot of times what we think is that our bad moral behavior that separates us from God and makes us dead spiritually gets forgiven and we get to go to heaven when we die and have a relationship with God forever. Like, that's how we think. That being, having my sins forgiven means all the bad things I've ever done are washed away. Okay, that, that is a very narrow view of what it means to have sins forgiven. That happens, but that's a narrow view. Sin literally means missing the mark. And so now you've got to ask yourself, missing the mark of what? It's not missing the mark of some standard of righteousness. It literally thinks of itself as missing the mark of God's truth, goodness, and beauty. So that anytime I am in sin, I am in sin because I'm moving away from the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God. Not some standard of moralism. Y'all with me? Not some morality. Because when I'm closer to the truth and goodness of God and the beauty of God, what am I, what's going to happen? My life's going to transform. Sin, theologically, sin biblically is a sickness of the heart, mind, and soul. Not a behavioral problem. You with me? Y'all wake still? Because I know we wake up here. Y'all wake up here? Y'all, like, y'all good? All right, we need more coffee. Need to get some brood. Anything we need to do? Some Red Bull. Got to pass it out. Sickness, sin is a sickness of the heart, mind, and soul that we need to be liberated from because it pushes us away from the truth, goodness, and beauty. It keeps us from trusting the goodness and the truth and beauty of God. And then the reign of sin and death at work in the world, the systems and all the things that form us, just they, they plant seeds of more uh, sickness in our soul. And then we live in a society that is sin-sick. And then we continue to produce sin-sick ways of living in the world. And then we end up being sin-sick people. And then we end up carrying the consequences of the sin-sickness, like guilt, like shame, like, like all of the different things we end up actually feeling about ourselves and maybe even feeling about God. And so Jesus looks at this man and knows somehow for some reason in some way that his heart and his mind and his soul is sick. And when Jesus says you are forgiven, Jesus gives, listen to this, Jesus gives the man the healing he needs before he gives him the healing he wants. Beloved, sometimes the cure we want is less important than the cure we need. Sometimes we get both. But maybe not in the same time frame and maybe not in the way we expect and maybe not in the way we think we need. 
Sometimes the cure we need is far more important than the cure we want. And if the scriptures are true, then the Christ who knows us best and loves us most is always going to give us the cure we need. Even if it means we don't quite get or get yet the cure that we want. But it's also important to remember that it is possible to receive the cure we want and not the cure we need. It is possible to mistake God's care for our cure. It is possible to put too much hope in the blessings and the beauty and the goodness of God and still miss the cure that God offers us because we think somehow that thing is going to make it better. And it is also possible that when we don't receive the cure we want, that maybe God is trying to open us up to discovering something about ourselves, to discover something about the Christ who is with us because the one good thing about Jesus is He's not going to leave us. The cure is there. But maybe there's something that we need to learn. Not a test. I don't like the language of test. There's no test. It's just a discovery. Everybody say discovery. discovery. Discovery of things inside of me I may not have even realized was possible. Things inside of me that I didn't know was actually there. That if my, if my desire had been met, I would have never discovered it because I would have just continued to trust in this over here. Hold on to the truth, the scriptures, of these stories that we've been reading. That Christ will be faithful and we will eventually receive the cure we need, even if it's not the cure we want. And it may be hard to see it and it may be hard to believe it. And when it is, when it is, like this man with paralysis, guess what we might need? Some friends to help us. Right? Some friends to help us. Now, Speaking of friends, in this story, it's easy to focus mostly on Jesus healing the man with paralysis that was lowered through the roof, right? Like that's the part we see sometimes in the story. That's the part of the story that captures our attention because we see ourselves in the man with paralysis. We see our need for healing and his need for healing. We see our need for forgiveness and his need for forgiveness. We, need, we, see, his need, we see our need of a sin-sick soul, mind, and, and heart being liberated and his sin-sick soul, mind, and heart being liberated. And we end up focusing so much on Jesus healing this man in paralysis that we, was lowered through the roof that we sometimes miss that there were people outside who are away on top of the the roof tearing it away so he could get in we should allow this part of the story to capture our attention so we can see ourselves in them too see i know we have this tendency remember we talk about this we have this tendency to see ourselves in the prodigal son but not in the brother who whined about it we have our tendency to see ourselves in the one leper who came back and gave God thanks and worshipped him rather than the nine who just went on their way after they got theirs. We have our tendency to see ourselves in the woman at the well who met Jesus and not in the disciples who talked about why is Jesus talking to this woman like this. And if we're going to let the scriptures deal with all of us, then we have to see ourselves in all of the scripture. And if we see ourselves in these friends who stood outside who climbed the roof, who 
lifted him up, then we'll realize something. As people who are being healed and liberated, that's us. We will sometimes need to be willing to go outside, climb on top of the house, and tear the roof off the place so other people can get in. Are you with me? Tearing the roof off the place is about ripping away what gets in the way of other people's healing. And there are two houses we're going to have to climb on sometimes. The first house is obvious. We may have to climb on somebody else's house. Tear the roof off the place so that the barriers that are keeping people from seeing Jesus clearly are getting healed can be healed. That's the work of moving out and tearing the roof off of the injustices and the mercilessness and all of the different things that keep people from receiving the fullness of the healing that Jesus wants them to. So that's sometimes what we have to do. And that's the part we see the most. We're like, I'm going to climb on somebody's house. I'm going to tear their roof up. And I'm going to make sure that these people can get in. But here's the house we have to climb on the most. A lot of times we're going to have to tear the roof off our own house. Sometimes we're going to have to tear away the roof inside of us, the barriers inside of us that keep us from being a part of somebody else's healing. In this story, y'all, to make a hole in the roof, this man's friends would have had to climb up to a flat roof, dig through either hard clay packed in tight between sticks and covered with straw and covered with tiles or just removing stone tiles which underneath would have been packed with hard clay and sticks. Either way, they weren't just pulling it apart like peeling it. They were having to dig. And that's work. So let's not expect that tearing apart the roof so others can get the healing and the justice and the mercy or the hope they need will be easy. Especially if it's our roof we have to tear apart. Tearing apart the roof may be hard. It may be costly. Everybody say costly. It may be inconvenient. Everybody say inconvenient. And we know it may be uncomfortable and disruptive. So here's what I mean so I don't just speak in metaphor. I want to do some boots on the ground. What are some tearing off the roof things? Because, what? because we have Jesus, right? Like we, we come here and we come to the Eucharist. We sing these songs. We have Jesus. So we already have Jesus. Right? So we can do this. So we don't have to always read the text with a what's in it for me. Right? Okay, you have been the paralytic. You have been the man living with paralysis, wholly dependent on God, that God wants to continue to care and cure. Like you, you are experiencing your healing. You may be in a weird season right now, but your healing is to come. Your cure is to come because that's how Jesus works. So what do you do? Just wait? No, sometimes we're going to have to climb up on the roof because sometimes what we find is when we help other people find their healing, we get healed too. Sometimes we discover that there was a cure for something we didn't even know we needed. So let's be boots on the ground about what this tearing off the roof may be for us. Here's an example. Welcoming a family from Afghanistan, a refugee family from Afghanistan, will cost us time, money, and more, won't it? But as a child of God, I will tear apart whatever barrier is within me and do it anyway. Amen. Right? Yeah. So we have to raise money for this family. So keep in mind that's going to be an ongoing request. In addition to your tithes and offerings, we're asking you to continue to give so that we can support this family in the long term. You can do that. Grab an envelope. Write it on Afghan Family Partnership. Continue to do that. It's going to be costly. But we can because Christ is. 
give you another example. Sharing what we have with a single mother with children living through homelessness will cost us time, money, and other things, right? But as a child of God, I will tear apart whatever barriers within me and do it anyway. We're walking with a mama right now. And I know that these two things specifically require financial resources. I know that. Now, the AFP, the Afghan Partnership, Family Partnership, you can do other things too. Like there's other teams to serve in, financial teams. There's other ways to serve in helping this family. You can see Bob and Catherine about that. But all of these things still require finances. And I know that we don't all have just unlimited finances. But together, we have a lot. If you add your five to my five, to their five, to their 20, to their 30, that adds up. We just may have to tear apart whatever barriers within me and do it anyway. I'll give you another example. Picking up a neighbor who needs a ride to take her where she needs to go. That's going to be inconvenient. Maybe even uncomfortable. But as a child of God, I will tear apart whatever barriers within me and do it anyway. Providing a meal. Providing a meal for a member of our church family in need of a break or who is sick or who is grieving. It's going to be inconvenient. But as a child of God, I will tear apart whatever barriers within me and do it anyway. Listening to another person's pain or their experiences. Especially if somehow their pain and their experiences disrupt my own spirit. Will be uncomfortable. But as a child of God, I will tear apart whatever barriers within me and do it anyway. Here's one. Telling the truth about the history of our nation. And maybe even the role my ancestors played in it. Or just hearing the truth will be uncomfortable. But as citizens of God's kingdom, I value truthfulness and will tear apart whatever barriers within me and do it anyway. Amen. Speaking truth to power and systems of merciless judge, judgment and injustice will be disruptive and may even be costly. But as a child of God, I will tear apart whatever barrier is actually put in front of me or within me and do it anyway. All of these actions, beloved, is what it may mean for us to climb up to the roof and tear it apart so others can see Jesus more clearly. And even though it'll be hard, maybe costly, most likely inconvenient, probably, uh, probably uncomfortable and disruptive, it will be worth it. Because it's what Jesus has done for us, and we may even find our healing in it too. We may even find the cure we never even know we needed when our neighbor finds the cure that they needed, even if it wasn't what they wanted. We may even find a voice for our own pain as they find a voice for theirs. And I said this last week, I'll say it one more time. Pain given a voice transforms into endurance. But pain not given a voice transforms into violence. It is possible that much of the violence we experience in our society comes from our unwillingness to listen to pain when it's experienced. But like Jesus, if we're willing to choose compassion over convenience and be willing, then we'll all be liberated. Remember how I said that Jesus shows us a God who isn't petty, a God who isn't tiny-spirited, a God who isn't angry, wagging his finger and tapping his feet with his arms crossed looking at us. 
You want to know why it's important to know that Jesus shows us not that God, but instead a God who is expansive and spacious, loving and gracious? You want to know why it's important that we know that about Jesus? Because we will always imitate the God we believe in. If I believe in a God who is petty, I will be petty. If I believe in a God who is tiny-spirited and separate and, 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 and divisive, then I will be tiny-spirited and divisive. If I believe in a God who is expansive and spacious and loving and gracious, then I will be more like that. Jesus shows us who God is and what God looks like. And we can imitate the Christ we see. The Christ who chooses compassion over convenience. The Christ who defended the, the displaced, who welcomed the unwanted, who valued the vulnerable, who provided for the poor, who welcomed the widow, who restored the rejected, who spoke God's truth to the systems of power. We can see this in the Christ and follow this Christ there. Because we know the cure we need is the cure we will be given and have been given and there are others who need that cure too. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.